Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. So we seem to be right smack in the middle of Kickstarter season for games, which is such a wonderful place to be. Whether you're backing them financially or supporting them through promotion, it's inspiring and encouraging to see so many great games find the support they deserve from this community. I've got a really good one for you in today's show, but also don't forget about James and Kat's Noisy Person Cards, which is just over halfway through its run and is so close to its goal. Noisy Person Cards is a party game designed to help you develop new character voices for role-playing games. You match descriptions characters like happy or cowardly, with characters like cult member or elf, and read exceptionally silly phrase cards to test out your character voice. I linked their actual play video in the show notes for you to check out. And remember, may the great dragon tyrant bless you with his merciful wrath. This week, my guests are Hannah Schaefer and Evan Rowland, who are also in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign for their game, Norlandia. I was excited to talk to them because Norlandia is a murder mystery hack of their game, Questlandia, with just as many differences between the two as there are similarities. I was intrigued to hear about what it's like to hack your own game, and we had a really good time exploring that process. Let's get right to it. I'm joined today by Hannah Schaefer and Evan Rowland, creators of Questlandia and Noirlandia. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Hannah, why don't you go first? Sure. I am Hannah Schaefer. I'm a game designer. I co-designed the world-building kingdom collapse role-playing game Questlandia with Evan. Uh, I also um, made a game called 14 Days with Evan also. Pretty much I make all my games with Evan. (laughs) Um, uh, 14 Days is a tabletop game about uh, living with chronic migraines. And uh, Noirlandia is really mostly Evan's game. So I will, I'll pass that over to him. Uh, I'm Evan. I'm I'm an artist and a game designer, and I've I'm everything Hannah said is true. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've, I've helped with those other games, and I've done the art and game design for Noirlandia, which is a, a modification of Questlandia nice. or yeah. expansion or a hack. <laughs> Cool. And Evan is also the only one not in his pajamas this afternoon. (laughs) I know. Uh, Business casual. (laughs) Cool. So then why don't, since Norlandia is is a hack, a modification of Questlandia, uh, I'd like to talk about Questlandia first a little bit to kind of get an idea of what, what the starting material was. Sure. Cool. Yeah. So Questlandia, it's a GM-less kingdom building role-playing game where you build a weird fantasy kingdom, less less like, you know, high fantasy Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, and more like um, maybe something that you'd see in a Miyazaki movie, or sometimes I liken it to like never-ending story. Um, So you're building this kind of non-traditional fantasy kingdom, and everybody's taking on the role of characters in the kingdom, trying to achieve a really big personal goal while your kingdom collapses around you. So you're playing out this like really important moment in time where your society is about to fall apart while you're trying to do something great. Um, So that's Questlandia. And Norlandia is not dissimilar, but there's more murder... Not not that Questlandia couldn't have murder. No, that that sometimes (laughs) tends to be a part of the plot as well. What inspired Questlandia? I I like that you describe it as as like the non-traditional fantasy, you know, steering away from typical high fantasy Lord of the Rings sort of stereotypes that we're used to. And I think the gameplay example in the book has like people with wings and like um, animal companions. Like it was really cool reading through this example. (laughs) What, What prompted that? Do you want to answer that question, Evan? I think there's a lot of different inspirations that went into Questlandia. I feel like at its heart, it it has, you know, a collapsing kingdom. But that's not where the spotlight is. The spotlight is on these characters who actually have their own goals. They're not heroes who are trying to save the kingdom. Sometimes they care. They can care about the kingdom. They can want to raise it up. They can want to break it down. Or they can just want to open their their own banana stand. (laughs) Like it's a, it's about people living in a collapsing society rather than the society itself. And uh, I guess that was just on our mind. 
Hmm, I wonder what would what would bring you to that sort of. Hmm. I mean, I, I will say uh, that you know when we first started to work on Questlandia, I was a hope that I had had was it was going to be a game about these sort of quest stories where people have like something that's wrong with their world and then they go out on a quest to save it. And in early playtests, mm-hmm. we were finding that you know whatever we'd done with the system, that the quests weren't really ever happening. Happening, that like the world was falling apart before the quest happened. So mm-hmm. uh, that ended up sort of becoming a favorite part of the game and ended up really shaping the game. And so it's still called Questlandia, but rarely do you ever get a chance to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just struggling to open this banana stand. And, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> and so if, if the focus being on these characters, I really like the way that the characters are created. Can you talk about that mechanic? Because I, I feel like I've, I haven't seen anything quite like that anywhere else. Sure. Give the rundown, Hannah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so both in the kingdom building and in the character building, we used um, what some people have called them oracles, which I really like. Uh, it's Ooh. just a combination of using basically playing cards and a roll of a standard six-sided die as randomizers. Um, so you'll draw a card. And the cards are connected to a table that has a bunch of identities, like kind of generic fantasy archetype identities on them. So you might draw a card that's, you know, I don't have the book in front of me, but maybe it's... Oh. Um, I do, I oh, do. Okay, so what's, what's a queen if you drew a queen? Hmm. That, I think that was, oh, aristocrat. Okay, if you great. Have a queen. <laughs> <laughs> and then you would roll a six-sided die and maybe you get a four and that would be for your drive. And I don't know what a four is, but if you tradition and preservation great so that so you know that one of the characters in the game is going to be some sort of aristocrat who believes in tradition or preservation um and by that point you will have already drawn your um kingdom troubles through a similar process and learned about your kingdom norms and you end up with these characters that really work in the world yeah, it looks a lot like the way you come up with things in uh, Noirlandia, which I haven't played Questlandia yet, but I did have the, the privilege of playing Noirlandia recently. And it is, you look at these lists and you think, surely there's a combination here that that's going to be completely difficult or impossible to use. <laughs> and there isn't. Like, oh, that's great. That's really good to hear. <laughs> yeah, it, it, they just, they work so perfectly. We, we laid out these characters and we we're like, well, well, of course, like, <laughs> of course, that's who these people are. You know that that in this in this place in this time, um, it makes so much sense. Norlandia actually brought back a mechanic that was in the original versions of Questlandia and was cut because it wasn't completely on theme. Oh, so once you lay out these characters, you have a set of them, but then people choose the ones that are sparking their own interest, mm-hmm. and so you're always, you know. Oh, I like the the queen who's into a tradition. I have an idea for it. And so you get to grab it. And then there's always one extra. Yeah. And what happens in Noirlandia, what didn't happen in, in Questlandia is that extra becomes the victim, becomes the body that kicks off the story. And so Questlandia actually used to start that way, where there was a murder at the beginning of every game. Oh. <laughs> and then we cut it because it was actually, we were telling more personal stories in Questlandia where it it wasn't it wasn't working to have a murder mystery every single time, but we sort of tucked mm. that idea away. Yeah, <laughs> let's revisit that one later when we make a murder game. Yeah, <laughs> and finally the day has come. Murder game. Note, note to self: make a murder game. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's normal. Um, no, it's. It's great. I'm glad you brought that up because when we were playing uh, and, and, you know, doing the character creation, I think that was one of my group's favorite parts was, oh my gosh, this person that's left over that we were putting so much thought into, like who they could be, they're dead now. And mm-hmm. that makes it immediately have such an impact on on, on us and who we're playing and, and the story that we're thinking of. Yeah. And there, you know, I think there ends up being a little bit of guilt for some people where they're like, oh, this is the one character that nobody picks. And we, Mm -hmm. we sort of sent them to the grave uh, by, by not picking them, but they end up being really important. um, Despite the fact that this was the character that nobody felt like they could easily play. Now they're at the center of the story. Yeah. There, definitely, there was some guilt. Think at our table. <laughs> we we left uh, the character that we left was a cop. So we were like, oh, oh no. no. 
I've played a number of games where the one character that is the private eye is the one who ends up dead. I've always loved that. <laughs> That's so good. I love it because even, like I said earlier, every possibility, you're like, well, of course. Of course it's the cop who's dead. Or of course it's the private eye who's dead. Like that yeah, makes right. that sounds like such a perfect story. <laughs> like, through telling these stories, so so everybody has their own protagonist who's going through their own personal story. What makes it difficult for them? What what provides them something to overcome in Questlandia? Mm. Do you want to answer that, Evan? So in Questlandia, you set your own goal at the beginning. You know, you want to make a banana stand. And at that point, the other, the other players are going to talk oh, we're to you. Now. They're going to talk about the obstacles that are in your way. And that'll be sort of, this is actually after you've introduced your character to everybody, you know, the other characters, you know, a little bit more about the world you're playing in. Mm -hmm. And so the other players come in and, and tell you why it's going to be hard. They say, you know, well, no bananas have been sighted in this kingdom for 10,000 years that's going to be an obstacle. <laughs> and somebody else will say, you know, the permits are really hard to get. And that'll be another obstacle. So you'll write down those and those will be something you have to revisit in all your upcoming scenes. Oh, gosh. And it's also there's sort of fodder for the other players who will, you know, take on the role of sort of partial GMs. They can look at your character sheet and see your obstacles and use that to build up scenes. Right? You, you clear know, a riveting scene at the banana stand permit office. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a trial by combat. For the yeah. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Does each, each player only gets three scenes? Is that right? In Queenslandia, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have you have three shots, and so your scenes tend to be pretty big. You've got to yeah. you've got to get that permit in one scene because you're in a rush. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like like that kind of puts the pressure on too. Not not only just having all, all of your friends making your life harder for you, but yeah, to do it in that in that kind of time frame. And with Queenslandia, like Norlandia, every one of these conflicts that you have has the chance of sending out a ripple of cause and effect that edges the whole kingdom closer to collapse. And so you'd think it would be pretty, you know, harmless to get a permit, but an actual outcome of that scene can be that, you know, the neighboring kingdom has declared war because you've got it Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How, how dare you? How dare you open this banana stand? Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's when we get into like the the mechanics with conflicts and and the outcomes of of different kinds of dice rolls, which looked pretty similar between the two systems, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, they have a lot of similarity similarities. I think Evan has cleaned up the um, like the narrative outcomes a little bit, and and just kind mm -hmm. of like cleaned up the dice a little bit, which I feel glad to see the system evolving. Uh, and I guess that I mean we're talking about modifying systems. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what is what does that look like kind of? Questlandia and, and Noirlandia both use two different colored sets of D6 dice to kind of determine the conclusions of different conflicts. What did you see working and not working in Questlandia that, that led you to make changes in Noirlandia? So in Questlandia, every scene ends with a, what's it called? A resolution roll? It's in the scenes resolution. You make this big roll, and this roll has three outcomes that are on the way. There's, it's sort of a given that you're going to have three outcomes from a scene. And you have a pool of dice, and the opposition has a pool of dice, and the opposition puts forward their best, and you do the best you can to look at those three outcomes that are being the three terrible outcomes that are being offered by the opposition and match your own dice to try to push your own favorable outcome past instead of it to replace one. In both games, you can only replace two outcomes. One negative outcome always slips through the cracks and things mm. get that much worse. So the dice aren't determining whether your sword hit. They're determining whether you lost a friendship over the course of the fight or if the visiting diplomat was offended and, you know, your relationships with the neighboring kingdom have decayed. It's, it's very, it's large scale outcomes from even small encounters. 
Yeah. You've got oracles in the book for this too, for, for what the different, like by, by how much you lose, you know, or, or when that determines sort of what type of, of outcome you're getting. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So yeah. the, the result on the die that goes through, whichever die result was higher, will correlate to a certain kind of narrative outcome. So winning on a four might mean that you get to heal a relationship and losing on a six might mean that your kingdom's economy starts to collapse. Um, in Norlandia, some of that was simplified down where there's, in, in Questlandia, every single possible die result has a different outcome. Mm-hmm. In Norlandia, there's some grouping where winning on a three or four or five all do the same thing. And some of that complexity has been removed from the dice and put onto the cork board, where even though a three or four both get you a new lead, when you put that lead up on the cork board, it starts a whole new process of like, how many leads do we have? What do we need to do to pursue the the answers here? And so having that additional system to work on, having this map of your progress, your clues on the case and the connections between the clues made it so there's room to make the, the dice game a little simpler, a little quicker, and you don't spend as much time interpreting those results. Yeah, because Questlandia, you've, you've got a map that you're sort of working on there on the table together, but then Norlandia introduces this whole other tactile aspect of the narrative that's happening, that corkboard, which is very, <laughs> very cool. <laughs> we, we had a lot of fun with that. Was it through playing Questlandia just that you wanted to modify this mechanic or, or was it something about Norlandia it needed to change? We definitely wanted to change that about Questlandia. I love Questlandia. I'd still really enjoy playing it, but there is like a lot of sort of cognitive load to making the dice matches when when basically you're choosing between something like anywhere from like six to 18 different possibilities because of all the different results in these dice. And most of the time it can go pretty smoothly and go pretty quick, but sometimes that can be overwhelming. And so it was fun to have a chance to try to make that a little smoother. And a lot of the, the Norlandia outcomes sort of directly affect character stats, which mm-hmm. seemed a little straightforward too. Yeah, yeah, I like what Evan did with, um, you know, that you have this situation in Noirlandia where I think it's like losing or winning on like a three, four, maybe like losing on a three, four or five is grouped together as something that impacts um, your character's condition. But then within that, there's not, there's a lot of flexibility within that for like what it means to have their, con- your condition affected and players get to choose what that looks like and, you know, what, what type of condition is getting hit based on the nature of this particular scene. So it's neat because even though there's sort of re- like redundancy in that three, four, five grouping, there's all of this room for what happens in between there. So it's easy to remember like, okay, if you lose on a three, four or five, your condition is affected. But within that, like, what is it look like to have your condition affected oh yeah <laughs> yeah and that that's the one I, I don't have in front of me but there's several different aspects to your condition um heart health um mind mind your heart and and the law oh right and you're getting along with the boys in blue <laughs> yeah yeah so you can go from pretty innocuous to pretty badly wanted mm-hmm. um fairly quickly or or healthy to paranoid (laughs) healthy to injured or you know mentally sound to sort of spiraling out of control emotionally which are very (laughs) noir things that happen as you're trying to solve a murder mystery things things really start to spiral out of control for you very quickly in most noir stories Oh yeah. Is there anything like that in Questlandia that that determines sort of the the state of your character? That's a good question. Yeah, there is a little bit. There there um are there's like a boosts and hindrances category. So you can add, you know, you can say like as a result of this, I'm now you know, considered the, I don't know, strongest person in the kingdom. And you can give yourself like the strongest woman boost, um, or you can give yourself the, you know, ashamed hindrance. Um, but there's nothing that affects it quite, it's, it's different than it is in Norlandia. One thing is it's got going on is, uh, every character has a, a weakness, a thing that they do and they're at the end of their rope. Mm. And as you play, giving into your weakness gives you a big bonus for the conflict you're in currently, but starts to stack against you and all the future con- uh, conflicts. Yeah. We had a character doing that quite often, and that, that kind of <laughs> takes away from mechanically how many dice he could contribute later, which was really interesting to see play out. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. The one other thing I wanted to definitely talk about about Questlandia that seemed different is the the ownership. Yeah. So what's ownership in Questlandia? So ownership in Questlandia is, you know, because it's a GM-less game, uh, my experience in some GM-less games was that that the games would have rules like now everybody come up with a lot of things and say all of your creative things at once and then put those in the game. And as somebody who is uh, like tends to be a little bit shy in role playing games, I found that that often translated to um, just not like not quite knowing when to speak up and then playing in role-playing games where I hadn't really contributed anything to the to the world or the characters or the story that we were playing out. So ownership is an attempt to fix that. And it's the idea that when you come up with something for the world, you write it down on a piece of paper. So maybe you come up with, um, you know, everyone li- lives in a banana stand because now this is like the only thing in my head. <laughs> um, and so, so you might write down like banana stand architecture architecture on a card and um, take that card. But if you are contributing a lot of different ideas, because you're a creative and excited person, if you're like, oh, yeah, everybody lives in a banana stand and we're psychics uh, and we have to take, you know, drugs every day to suppress our psychic powers, like you have to start to pass those ideas off. So you'll have to write like, you know, psychic powers on a card and pass that to another player. And every time a question is asked about that element of the world, the player who owns it gets to answer that and has first and last say. So everybody can talk about it, but it ends up being that person's like little part of the world that they control. And that's not in Norlandia. Yeah, I noticed that. Is there is there a reason? There's a couple of reasons. Norlandia has a few sort of inbuilt systems that are meant to try to distribute the narrative along. There's mm-hmm. bargaining, which gives you a chance to make a specific request of somebody and like, you know, direct a, the story to some extent. There's the idea that you belong to a certain district of the city. You come from a certain place mm-hmm. and so that you'll be consulted. Your character will be in a bit of a position of authority about what goes on in that part of the city. But also... Norland is a shorter game, and with less focus on world building, you start off by creating your city, and you do keep sort of finding things out about your city. But Questlandia, you can you can go very deep into the mechanics of your kingdom and how things are done there, and how the architecture looks, and why it cut to be that way. And in Norlandia, the game is more action focused. We're on the case. We got to get it done. We got to solve this murder mystery because the clock is ticking. And so I've tried to put in a fair distribution of imagination and world building with as little writing as possible. And it's honestly, it's not finalized. I'm going to keep thinking about that because if it would work, ownership could be brought to Norlandia, especially if you wanted to play a sort of a more slower paced game or you wanted to delve into the details of your city. I think it could be a really good sort of optional system to bring into the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think we were all a little interested in some aspects of our city that sort of came up during play, but mm-hmm. then we didn't really have a, a means to go back and explore sort of why did the flying cars keep hitting James all the time? Like, <laughs> what, what's up with that? <laughs> Poor James. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, they're okay. <laughs> um, but absolutely, yeah. I think if somebody had had maybe owned that, owned the the flying car violence card. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like who's running that company? But yeah. I mean that that also could have could have come up in our in our mystery later. But it's just the nature of the game. I like I like that in Questlandia. There's there's a point um, during the kingdom creation phase where you're like, don't solve all the mysteries of the kingdom. And <laughs> Please I, don't. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I I like to think that holds especially true for Norlandia. Like I I like that we had those mysteries left over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you're not careful with Questlandia, it can very quickly turn into not a one-shot game. And I mean, it's it's meant to be either a one or two shot, but some people get really hung up in the kingdom creation. And uh, mm-hmm. I've gotten emails where they're like, after four hours, we were still doing kingdom creation. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wow. <laughs> That's intense. They're they're committed to this place. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of anybody trying to turn it into a campaign? Uh, well, we are currently turning it into a campaign. So, oh, yeah. well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a question we get a lot, especially because you know, like I said, there are these groups who just like really go big or go home with the kingdom creation. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we're currently working on a. Um, 
a hack that turns it into a campaign game. And uh, so far, it's going really well. And some of the mechanics that, you know, felt a little bit like heavy for a one shot, like the dice, which I, mm-hmm. I still think the dice are really cool. But it gets to be a lot when you're like matching up all of these narrative outcomes again and again over the course of, you know, three or four hours. And now we've sort of spread that out. And it's it's great. I'm really I'm really excited <laughs> to share it when it's done. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Clearly right now your your um, attention is on the New Orleansia <laughs> Kickstarter, but is is that something we can expect in the near future or I think yeah, you know, I think it's very possible that within the next year we'll be finished with it, but I don't want I don't know. Oh, cool. <laughs> I won't Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I won't speak for both of us. I, you might have thoughts yeah. about that, Evan. <laughs> I think we'll probably before too long we'll at least be looking for some play testers. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know some people. <laughs> cool. So it sounds like there's no shortage of desire for you guys to hack Questlandia. But mm-hmm. what what inspired you to take it in the direction of Norlandia? It seems like Questlandia is pretty open, and that you sort of had that murder mechanic. It, I mean, it's sitting right there. You could just <laughs> kill that extra character um, if, if you wanted to. So so why um why Norlandia? I think so. Norlandia came about. We were going to the big bad con convention, California. And we're like, mm-hmm. we should bring two brand new games to this convention. <laughs> uh, and we did this because that, there is no good reason. I can't believe we made that decision. We both arrived in California extremely sick because we had just been working like crazy to make brand new games. Oh, um, pretty uh, dumb. <laughs> but, we, but two games came out of it, Norlandia and Damn the Man Save the Music. Oh, yeah. Uh, both very different takes on what, what Questlandia could be. And I think Norlandia, like you said, there were some mechanics in Questlandia that were sort of suited to Norlandia that were removed. I think Norlandia, I think like a murder mystery was actually one of the elements that early Questlandia had that as we refined it and sort of learned what what the game we were making was about, you know, we sort of combed that out. We took those parts out and said, okay, it's not going to be a mystery game. That doesn't seem to be with the the main purpose of it. But those parts were there. And so they lingered. And that combined with watching Chinatown for the millionth time. I want to do I want to do China Landia. <laughs> I think that was that was it. The the pressure of a con, the the latent desires that would have been suppressed yeah. in Questlandia. <laughs> I think it's also like noir was a genre that was really baffling to me for a long time. Like I, I didn't really see it as a genre that had a lot of substance. Uh, in my mind, it was like, you know, leggy women and smoking detectives <laughs> with their fedoras yeah. tipped, you know, so, you know, half silhouetted and saying things about dames. <laughs> and I didn't really see it as like more than that. And then I started to watch more noir and um, some like neo-noir and mm. uh, learned that they were actually these stories about the repercussions of violence or stories about watching good people tested by their by by bad environments or by by like worlds that wanted them to fail and that fits really well with Questlandia um you know sort Mm -hmm. of watching people try to do their best in worlds that are collapsing around them and so now it's people navigating like these murky murky moral waters that is not an easy combination of words to say (laughs) um in a city that wants them to fail i came into it with a similar you know our group was like oh we're gonna play noirlandia and you you have all these things that you think about when you hear noir but noirlandia sets it up so that your city can be anything Mm -hmm. which i thought was awesome i imagine that was on purpose (laughs) of course um (laughs) right having having questlandia so open like that was it sort of a natural progression to leave norlandia open it was and it it gave a great opportunity to, to think about like what what's underlying noir like what's behind the trench coats and I've drawn a bunch of trench coats for this game. For sure. <laughs> and it's, usually, usually you don't want to ask what's behind the trench coat. <laughs> it's just a question. You just let go. <laughs> but looking like rewatching noir film and thinking about both the idea of solving a mystery and the idea of morality in an amoral world. Mm-hmm. 
of you always have this protagonist who always has a principle that's driving them. And just the fact that they have a principle at all, it really doesn't matter what it is. Just the fact that they're principled means they don't fit in the world because the world doesn't have principles. The world is doing its own thing as hard as it can, and it'll break every rule. And that sort of perception of the world and of opposition to the setting, or rather not direct opposition, but being at odds with a setting because of your own drive, felt like a super Questlandia kind of theme. It really felt like it translated over and gave a chance to examine that underlying theme of noir in totally different settings, in Victorian England or on an asteroid mining colony or anywhere. The characters, they do have the principle, and then it's questions that they're trying to answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In Norlandia, everybody has the same goal, which is to find the three answers to the case. Who did it? Why was it pulled? Why was it done? And how was it pulled off? So everybody's unified in that in that sense. Even though in a lot of games, people are having more private investigations and indirectly helping each other. Okay. And so with everybody having that same goal, how do how do they make it difficult for each other in Norlandia, or do they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me think. Do yeah. they? Did you guys make it difficult? <laughs> well, there's there's bargaining um, that happens. I I mean I right. don't know. You know, it's you. <laughs> it's more your game, Evan. But I I feel like the obstacles that were a part of Questlandia have sort of been placed by this replaced by this bargaining mechanic. Where when you um, there's two different types of roles in Noirlandia. There's challenge roles and investigation roles. And before you get up to this big role at the end of a scene that determines um, like where the plot will go. You're doing these little roles um, to say like, did I catch up with the speeding car? Like as it, as it sped away from my sight and you just roll, is it just two dice? I don't remember if it's just, two dice or it's not. It's just two. You so roll it one. Yeah. yeah so, one. so there's these like really quick sort of action oriented roles where you just roll two dice uh, against each other. And if they are tied or I can't remember exactly what it is. It's like yeah. if they're tied or if or, it's, or you it's know, a only, near tie. Yeah. or yeah, or nearly tied, the players have to make hard bargains to that they can offer to the protagonist in the scene to see if they get what they want. And often that will come <laughs> at the expense of, you know, like their their condition being affected like sure you can Mm -hmm. you can catch up with the car but that cop is going to see you speed away and like you're going to be a suspect too now or you can catch up with the car but you have to you know acknowledge that the person that you see inside it is your uh like ex-girlfriend um and you just (laughs) didn't expect that she was tied up in this mess and like what are what are you going to do now so i feel like that sort of has has added that challenge back in Mm mm-hmm Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my take on it. Again, I didn't I didn't write the game. Oh yeah, no. We we definitely took advantage of that to make things difficult for each other. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I would I would agree. Our bargains <laughs> got pretty pretty hard. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I think the bargains also help just set up your role of saying like your job is to give a hard bargain here, you know? If, yeah. if it's not your scene, you're going to have to hurt your friends here. <laughs> <laughs> Be, be the sad noir GM here. And then the other thing, the, the, the tactile element of Noirlandia is different. It's not a, a map that you're collaborating on, but but you're building a murder board, it, which if anybody doesn't know what I mean by murder board, you, you know what I mean by murder board. You've seen it on TV. You walk into somebody's house and there's this, the yarn everywhere and the pins go into this person to that place. So you we get to build one of those, which is really satisfying. <laughs> When you started working on Norlandia, was it sort of like, well, of course we would have a murder board, or or how did you how did you decide to to have that as part of the game? I immediately wanted that to be a part of the game. I mean, I love okay, them. Cool. I love them aesthetically. I I think they're beautiful and fascinating, mm-hmm. and they're both a perfect representation of a tangled mystery, and then they double as an actual tool to solving them. There's a reason that that the detectives put them together. It's actually an organizational aid to deal with a complicated story and to try to put the pieces together. And so to be able to set some rules around that where you get to have this thing that would probably be helpful even if there was no rules at all around it, but to make it so you naturally are using this aid as a part of your course of solving the case. Uh, it was so fun. It was so fun to set the rules for this. I made so many bad rules at first. I was <laughs> way overexcited and made rules where you had to do a crazy amount of things in order and tie stuff in very specific ways and you're you're playing you know version 12 (laughs) 
Oh, wow. <laughs> it seemed very, very streamlined and easy to kind of figure out because there is, we add people, leads, um, items to that murder board and it just takes, what, three, three things connected to have an answer. Mm-hmm. Which um, I think we th- we thought was going to be a lot easier than it wound up being. Like like we're like oh just three things okay we'll we'll have this solved in no time. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't. Oh, that you know that's a good question. Did you guys end up solving the case? Oh, we did. Oh, okay, we did solve oh, our congratulations. Case. Yeah. <laughs> so that was good. Thank you. How would you not solve the case? Like how what what could happen in a game to cause that? The game ends in two ways. You either get three answers and solve your case, mm-hmm. or you get three escalations which are moments where your city starts to go to hell. And in most games, players get the answers. You usually can outrun that, but the pressure is there. It's underneath it. There's a a hard cap, and it's there for a reason, because this game tends to really hurt characters. It, uh, your, your stats mm-hmm. tend to go down. Things just seem to get worse. And as things get worse, it's harder to turn them around. And so the game does end at a certain point and be like, sorry, guys, that's <laughs> good try. But, but this crime is going to go unanswered. Yep. <laughs> Let's end on a sad yeah. note instead of a super sad <laughs> note. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> the, the, escalations, the escalations that happen, is that when um, you lose things from the board? I'm trying to remember how our right. game went. So an escalation, it does two things. It, it takes an area of the city and says, you know, the banana permit section of the city has... Mm-hmm declare they're not giving any more permits to anyone. Everything is shut down. That would be an escalation. And every escalation will destroy a lead in that part of the city. And so, you know, (laughs) I have my tattered permit and it might actually get ruined, burned or rescinded when that part of the district escalates. (laughs) So many waiting in long lines, so much bureaucracy and red tape. (laughs) Which is one of the other parts I really love about a corkboard. I like being able to, to write a big X through one of the leads <laughs> on the board. Mm. You know, it is gone. We had uh, one of our player characters wound up on the board. Oh, and, that's great. Um, he died in an escalation. Yeah. Ooh, by by his own choosing or? Yes, <laughs> actually. We, we could have lost something else, but he's, he's like, no, that kill me. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, if that's what you want. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it is it is a kind of a dark story. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but he also had the, had the ability to, to keep playing in flashback, mm-hmm. which we liked too. So he was still able to help us ultimately solve the mystery, actually. Cool. Oh, that's so great. Which was a really cool mechanic to have. Is having like that tactic part of these games, you know, building the corkboard or drawing the map together, is that important to you guys when making games? For me, absolutely. Maybe to the point of fault, but <laughs> I mean, I'm the kind of player who will fidget with dice or pencils or whatever. I'll make little towers. I'll crumble a p- piece of paper. I'll do something with my hand mm-hmm. because actually it helps me to be present at the table to like have this tactile reminder that here I am. And I guess from there it has stemmed naturally that I like a game that gives me the opportunity opportunity to feel a sort of physical connection with the world that we're making. Having the chance to drive a pin through a picture of you know, this lead and stick it to the board and then tie yarn around it really helps me connect with the fiction and feel like I'm there. I'm solving this. Yeah, it's been a big help for me also. And I I would love to start to think about ways to, you know, I don't think that every single role-playing game needs like a crazy detective murder board. <laughs> well, that's where we differ. <laughs> Probably it doesn't fit for every game. Um, but I've, I've found that over time, you know, like writing really detailed notes or like little comics as I'm playing a game to remind myself of what's happening from scene to scene. It's just like really helpful. And sometimes I think that, you know, when people see me doing it, it seems like I'm uh, less invested or distracted, but really it's like a grounding technique for me. So it's it's great for it to be baked in in this game in a way where it makes it totally acceptable <laughs> instead of just me being, you know, the, the resident paper ripper or fidgeter. <laughs> Speaking of baked in, I do have a couple of listener questions that you just reminded oh, me of. Cr- cool. Cruel. <laughs> Which we'll hit those. Cruel. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll we'll hit those and then we'll talk about this Kickstarter. James on Twitter and the Meltdowns wanted to know uh, when you have a genre game like noir, how do you decide what aspects of the genre are important to bake into the system of the game? That's a great question. Do you want to answer I, that? That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, for me, 
it's exactly the aspects of the genre that I love because it's a ton of work to make a game and I've got to be working on the parts that really fascinate me and that I want to dive into and think about in a more deep way. Uh, otherwise, I couldn't get through the work. So in making Noirlandia, thinking about corruption on a societal level and how that impacts somebody on the ground and like what it's like to be an individual in a world that doesn't think in terms of individuals and thinking about how a mystery can be solved where nobody knows it and like how to piece together the clues, like the course that you can take, the winding course of a clue leading to clue and finding information in unexpected places and connections that you never would have expected between two seemingly disparate parts and how that can all combine with people around a table making that happen. Those are all questions that I just, I couldn't get out of my head. Even if I wasn't making this game, I'd be thinking about it. <laughs> so those were the first things that I wanted to bring to it. Awesome. How about you, Hannah? Now that you have been watching more noir and thinking more about it, what, what was important to have in a noir game? I, I think that for me and in conversations that Evan and I had about it, it it's been really great watching the, like neo-noir movies. Uh, and in, an example of one that I watched recently is the movie Blue Ruin, which if you're not if you're not thinking about the genre, it looks nothing like a noir movie. Uh, I mean, it's it's about somebody mm. who is sort of trying to get uh, vengeance for the murder of his parents by going after like every single person who he thinks was connected to the crime. And it's about, you know, I mean, it takes place in, I think it takes place in Delaware or something and in modern day. <laughs> so you don't have, you know, like there's, there's no trench coats, there's no, um, there's no tipped hats or, um, you know, like femme fatales, but thinking about like thinking about the stories that can be told about, you know, murky, murky morality and questions about like when violence spirals out of control, but not having those stories look like traditional black and white noir is really cool to me. And I think it, it's sort of weird to say this, but like, the tropes that I wanted to bring into the game were the ones that break the tropes. So like mm. to have people thinking about noir, but not thinking that it has to include the smoking detective or the, you know, sexy lady in the tight dress. So we can have these stories now that have like these, you know, radical queer cities or sci-fi. Like we had a game that was like on an asteroid belt and it's like oh, wow. sci-fi noir. Uh, so that's been really exciting for me is bringing in the tropes and then also like just smashing through some of them. That's awesome. I think Norlandia definitely did that. Like I like I said before, I was coming in with all of these expectations about the, the tropes mm -hmm. and the stereotypes and to just see them from, from step one, you know, completely, you don't have to do that. That's not what this is about. Mm -hmm. And then I guess that actually, some of your answers tie right into Kevin. Uh, Kevin Bates wanted to know what your favorite classic noir is. Um, mm -hmm. classic noir movie or your or a favorite mm -hmm. um, non noir in non-traditional genre. Yeah, Blue Ruin is definitely one. <laughs> it's on Netflix yeah. if anybody wants to watch it. <laughs> I also really like um, the movie, which I saw just for the first time recently, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is a beautiful vampire movie that takes place in like a fictional Middle Eastern city called, I think it's called like bad town <laughs> or bad city. <laughs> and that was really beautiful. And I think also is very noir while also breaking with some of the tropes. Um, and I'm sure Evan, you have a bunch of them that, you know, have been inspirations <laughs> for you. There's so many. Uh, <laughs> the Maltese Falcon comes to mind as a just superb mystery, like a, a superb sort of pacing of a mystery and introduction of mm -hmm. And I watched this movie and immediately went and made a crime board for it and pinned up the different leads <laughs> in the order that they were made. And when you learned there was a connection between them and when you met a new possible suspect and how you'd get a theory about what their relationship was with it, but you wouldn't know until this point. And then other times this part would be destroyed. It was like a perfect example of assembling a mystery piece by piece, having theories get built up and then smashed apart or then twisted and then be partially right. 
yeah. please tell me that like your landlord decided that that, that would be a good time to visit. <laughs> <laughs> we still have we uh, in front of our dining room table. We still have an enormous cork board pinned up with leaves and stuff. That's I've left the detritus of crime. Uh, we definitely, it's like a, it's like in the movie A Beautiful Mind. We like we look like crazy people live here We're yeah. solving <laughs> investigations. Yep, at the kitchen right. table every yeah. morning over the over coffee. <laughs> Um, I love it. And I've got to gush about Chinatown just a little bit. <laughs> I love Chinatown so much. Oh my God. It's yeah. so good. It, it, it has such a beautiful perspective on big societal movements rippling down until they impact a person's life, until somebody's life is ended because of it. And, you know, there's somebody who pulled the trigger. There's somebody who made it happen. But in Chinatown, there's no real culprit. There's no real like, oh, you do this. It's just all these natural consequences of a huge mm -hmm. corrupt system. And that more than anything is what I tried to bring into Norlandia. The idea that there's the answer, who did it, is not going to be the end of the mystery. It's just one little facet of it. But really, the, the culprit is always the society at large. I hope that worked out somewhat in your game. Mm -hmm. I don't know. If you, have a, if you had a lone gunman kind of situation. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Uh, we, we had like a specific who, you know, perpetrated, but it was definitely a, a product of the, the society that we built. Mm, right. Which I thought was really, it was really good. So for anybody else who wants to play Norlandia, you guys are in the middle of a Kickstarter for it right now. Mm -hmm. It's the truth. Cool. Yeah. How is that going? It's going extraordinarily well. Yeah, it's great. It's great. People have really come out to support the project. And it's great to see people who backed Questlandia supporting Noirlandia. It's great to see new backers. Yeah. It's cool to see people who are like, I don't even like Noir, but this seems weird and cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it is both of those things. Yes. It's, it's really been a treat. Um, and we're really, I think, I mean, I, I feel really pleased with with where the Kickstarter is at, and I can't wait to see where it ends up. Yeah, you guys uh, hit funding a little while ago, like early into the campaign, right? Yeah, I think 10 I think hours we, in. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, our, I mean, our goal was pretty modest, but yeah, we hit it on day one. <laughs> That's fantastic. So we're into stretch goals right now, adding all sorts of content written by other games writers. Yeah, we've, we've actually hit, we've hit all of our written setting stretch goals from other writers, and we're going to be announcing um, a new one later this week that starts to add new, like, goodies. That's such a weird word. I hate the word goodies. <laughs> adds, new, <laughs> adds, like, new physical content. <laughs> That's terrible, yeah. too. I don't know what <laughs> goodies, physical, <laughs> adds new cool stuff to the game. Yeah. Um, Swag. Swag. Yeah. yeah. Swag. <laughs> Anybody who wants to go back now, there's a ton of content then mm -hmm. digitally. Mm -hmm. We'll have a link to that, but no, tell us about the levels. There's a, a higher level where you get an actual cork board and string and tacks and the custom settings that have been written for the game. Each one of them comes with an envelope and every one of those envelopes is packed with leads that you can pin up to your board. And it's designed in such a way that you can set up your game, set up the setting, but then reveal the leads uh, at random. You can reach in blind be like, oh, we found a new, you know, a new part of the case, reach into the envelope, pull it out and like, aha, it's, it's this person and pin them to your board. So I'm super excited. I'm going to be it to draw a million leads. <laughs> <laughs> Typically drawing leads, it, it falls on those, you know, drawing cards and falling on those Oracle tables. Right. Um, but this, this kind of the whole thing is a surprise, which that sounds, so they're, they're setting specific, mm -hmm. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That's those right. are the ones, yes. you know, they, it, it ends up skipping over some of the world building and just launches you into these pre-written settings from some cool. really amazing designers. So it's like, really, really happy with the team of writers that we have who are going to be working on these. Do you want to name any names? Or sure. Yeah, we can. <laughs> we can name drop a little. <laughs> Dro yeah, drop them. <laughs> oh, gosh. So let's see. We have um, Rebecca Slit, who is a writer for Choice of Games, which is an amazing um, text-based adventure video game company. And you should totally check out some of their games because they're awesome. Uh, Emily Kerr Boss, who writes romance games. Quinn Murphy, who is doing an amazing 
amazing, like really cool Afrofuturist sci-fi setting. Joshua Newman, who's doing a space opera setting. Jackson Tegu, who's doing like Beauty and the Beast object, Brave Little Toaster Noir. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) I know that I'm forgetting some folks right now. Kara McGran, who's doing like a vampire city, queer vampire city. And I think, I think the final person is Sarah Richardson, who's doing like a sexy courtesan murder mystery. So it's just like a really cool range of settings. And I'm so excited. (laughs) Not to mention there's Hannah Schaefer, who's who's doing a Mario themed. (laughs) I am. I am. Yeah. (laughs) Vaguely Mario themed, you know, Mm -hmm. no no trademark infringement here, but... Yeah, so if, if you did forget anybody, that's okay, because everybody's going to go and look at this Kickstarter. Yes, so everyone's Get physical there. books. Um, is there anything else that we should touch on about Norlandia or, or Questlandia even before we wrap up? Let me think, Hannah. Can think of- yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything else. I mean, I think that the okay. only thing that I would say is that if you are a person who is not drawn to noir as a genre, but you are drawn to world building and watching things sort of spiral out of control in a way that actually <laughs> makes sense, uh, you should check out the game. Because I am, I am not somebody who was initially drawn to the genre, but now I'm a obsessed with it. <laughs> All right, then where can we find both of you and, and your games online? So we're both... Hmm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about where can we find... Can we find your games someplace online? Do you have a website? Yes, for... it is. <laughs> Makebigthings.com. We're, we're part of awesome. a three-person game design co-op, and that is that is our game company, is Make Big Things. All right. And if anybody wanted to find you two in particular, are you on G+, or Twitter, or anything like that? I'd be delighted if somebody if somebody checked out my Twitter. <laughs> I, I think now I have two backers. Two back two, two <laughs> followers. I think you followers. have more than you have more than two followers. Uh it is a drawn novel. <laughs> uh and I'm on Twitter at Hand Bandit and on Google Plus as well, just down at Hannah Schaefer. Yeah. And Hannah, you've got your own podcast. I do. Yeah. I have a podcast with my sister called Games People Play, where we talk about social games like (laughs) dating or Christmas or games that are like part of our culture. And then we try to break them down into game design pieces. And it's really fun. It is. I I listened to the Christmas one on my commute and I could not keep my shit together. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you liked it. It was really good. Cool. And and Evan, I don't know if we we mentioned, but you you do all the art. I do all the art. Marlandia and Questland. It's so good. Oh, thank you. It's good. If I can give a a shout out to the people who backed our Kickstarter at the portrait level, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be giving a, a custom portrait of them. That'll be a lead in the game so they can end up as a suspect. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who backed at that level. There's been a huge amount of support, and I feel so flattered and excited to draw all these faces. Yay! I'm Yay. excited to see them. <laughs> cool. <laughs> right. Well, thank both of you so much. Thank you both. Oh, thanks so much for having us yeah, on. It was you. really fun to talk about the game. Yeah, my pleasure. Huge thanks again to Hannah and Evan for taking the time to talk with me about Norlandia, especially with their campaign in full swing. I strongly encourage you to check it out for yourself. The game is fantastic, the rewards are great, and your support can only make it better. I can't wait to hear what kinds of stories you tell in Norlandia, and bonus points if they include a banana stand. Keeping with the Kickstarter theme, I also want to give a quick shout out to the Akatacon Kickstarter going on right now to help fund this year's Akatacon convention. Follow the link in the show notes for more info on guests, uh, they include James and cat and events. I've got my ticket and there's still time to get yours. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier on Twitter at Modifier Podcast or at the headquarters at modifierpodcast.tumblr.com. You can send comments, questions, or contribution suggestions to modifierpodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes as that helps more people find us. Modifier is a proud member of the One Shot Podcast Network, an amazing family of RPG podcasts that includes incredible shows like One Shot, Campaign, Backstory, and Talking Tabletop. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Next time on Modifier, I'll be chatting with Glenn Given from Games by Playdate about hacking stories and much more. See you then!